This is comedian Abby Gillespie, and you're listening to Hey, What's Up Podcast. Cue the music. All right, we are starting 2022 off with kind of a, a somber note, right, Travis? A uh, little bit, yeah. The other day we lost uh, Bob Saget, one of uh, one of my favorite comedians as of late. I told him we had Bob on last, was it spring or summer last year? Time? Uh, I think it was around the summertime. And uh, I was never really a Full House fan growing up, but I loved almost everything else Bob Saget did. Uh, and he was a lot more uh, humble and kind than I, I actually uh, imagined he would be. Um, but it's kind of sad. We we had a lot of fun with him. Um, I know Travis had a good time. Yeah, he's definitely the biggest uh, celebrity I've ever, I guess, talked to. <laughs> Didn't really meet him in person, but he, uh, it was virtual. We, yeah. he saw us. He saw us. I met him, and uh, and uh, he figured out our pop quiz. He is the only one to have figured out our pop quiz. We should should uh, insert the clip right here. We should. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Travis knows how to do this in post. You'll you'll hear the pop quiz right here. Anyways, we're professionals here. Uh, Abby, welcome in. Thank you for for coming. Were you a Were you a Bob Saget fan growing up? Um, I was a yeah, I was a Full House fan. I watched it all the time. Um, but. Yeah, that was that was devastating news, especially because we, you and I were talking about it like a couple hours before uh, it was announced that he died, and so I think we killed Bob Saget. Wow, put it on, put it on me. You heard it here first, first episode of 2022. I killed Bob Saget. You killed him. So rude. Yeah, no, it was devastating news. He's super funny and uh, really underrated as far as being a comedian goes, like a stand-up. So. Did, did either of you watch uh, Jimmy Kimmel's uh, tribute to him last night? Uh, both of you should go watch it on YouTube. Oh, I, it's, I it, saw it. It was, uh, I didn't, I couldn't get through the whole thing, honestly, because it was just super sad, yeah. but uh, I kind of skimmed oh. through it. I, there's only been a few times Jimmy Kimmel has broken down on camera, and one of them was when his son was, was in the hospital, mm-hmm. and, and yesterday was, it was, it was, it was tough to watch. I think that's when Kimmel really shines, though, sometimes when he's the most uh, raw uh, we lost Betty White a week ago as well. Were you a were you a huge Betty White fan? Of course. Who was not a Betty White fan? You can't trust people who didn't like Betty White. Like that's a filter. Like that's a good date question. You know, <laughs> and, if someone says no, like throw them aside. And then we'll get into this later. I know you're a big fan of television. I actually, I didn't really get to know Betty White until she was on a show called Boston Legal that starred uh, James Spader and William Shatner in the mid 2000s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna talk a lot you know, of TV. It's you know Betty White from Boston Legal. She was in like eighteen episodes. She killed you know Leslie Jordan. You know who everybody loves now. Uh huh. The old little little gay guy. He was in Boston Legal with Betty White, and Betty White killed him with a frying pan. It's one of the funniest things <laughs> on. T- you'll have to go back and watch it. It's on Hulu, I believe. Um, Golden Girls is one of the most underrated TV shows of all time. Can you okay. call it underrated when they have T-shirts with all the golden like multiple T-shirts? I don't think he, that people, but it's like only like a specific group of people who know it, right? It's only like the golden group of fans of humans who know that show. Like how how much of that show have you seen? 
I haven't seen much, but they've also won exactly. But if a sh- I, I don't think you can call a show underrated if it's won like eighteen Emmys. That show, I mean, people multiple okay, cast but, members have won but Emmys. But it's not it's not talked about as much as like you know Friends and Seinfeld and like all of these other like sitcoms. Like it doesn't. It's not in the same conversation. But when did Golden Girls come out though? What like years was, were that? Because like it's eight, a little older. It was eighty seven to like ninety four. So Seinfeld was kind of around at the same time. Yeah, which, that was kind of early for sitcoms though. You you have you haven't even watched Seinfeld, so you can't even throw that that in the well, lexicon there. Well, I feel like I've avoided it so far. I might as well just see how long I can go. <laughs> it's on Netflix now. Like, you could have avoided it on Hulu. And it's on, like, TBS 18 times a day. So it's on Netflix. I don't think you can avoid it much longer. It's just going to be one of those things that Netflix just automatically starts playing. We'll see, man. <laughs> but she was also part of uh, the Mary Tyler Marshall, which was huge. She was one of the first to mm-hmm. actually be in television. Uh, so she's definitely missed. And then Robert Durst died. So I think the world kind of evened out yesterday. You know, oh my they, God. they took two amazing people and then they took Robert Durst. So there's that. Which if you haven't watched The Jinx, it's a great documentary as well. I don't know if you've watched, watched The Jinx. That's about Robert Durst. She's writing it down. I'm adding it yep. to my list. Yeah. I've been giving her a long list get, leading up to list on, on stuff she needs to watch. Wait, so why were so many comedians posting about Robert Durst dying? I'm like, like, I'm looking him up right now. He was a murderer, but... Yeah, he was one of the biggest real estate moguls of, like, the 80s and 90s. So why were all the comedians posting about it? Just to be ironic, because Bob Saget also died that day, or... Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Okay. Like, if you look at Jim Norton, Jim Norton did the exact same tweet for for Bob Saget and for Robert Durst, because nobody cares about Robert Durst died. Gotcha, that makes... I thought he was also a comedian, just based off of, like, Twitter, but no one posted pictures of him or anything, so that makes a lot more sense. Because you know a lot of comedians are based out of New York, where Robert Durst is from... And he tried to appeal one of the murders last year or the year before, and he was, like, super sick, and nobody felt pity for the guy. He's a horrible, horrible human being. So I think they're just trying to roast him in his death. <laughs> he didn't pull a Weinstein and, like, show up with a little walker all of a sudden <laughs> to the courthouse? He pretty much did. He was wearing a mask. Google the photos of it. He was trying to pull the sympathy card like crazy. He looks like he. they just plucked him off the sidewalk, though. He's wearing, like, the juvie outfit with mm-hmm. the mask and a face shield, which he always knows good when they double up. Yep. So, Abby, yeah, that's... Yeah, well, <laughs> you well, know Robert Durst. He's all about safety, that guy. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's transition back. You, you've come on a, the, the... We had a lot to talk about, so you're, you've come on a, a fun episode. Um, right. Let's talk about your comedy career for a bit. And we'll dive into more of your hobbies that that I know you have. Uh, when did you yeah. start start doing comedy? I started uh, on a whim, actually. Uh, in college, there was an improv group, uh, and at the university I was at, it was it was a really strange, like small liberal arts college outside of Boston, and uh, they didn't have sports or anything, and that was really strange coming from Montana. So what? like students did for fun was go watch comedy shows which I thought was like really lame (laughs) but I was like uh talking to this guy about um this comedy group and he's like are you thinking of doing it and I was like I don't know it's not really my you know I haven't done anything like that before and he goes yeah you probably shouldn't it's pretty competitive (laughs) and then and then I was like you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm going to do it. And I auditioned and there was like 80 people who auditioned and like three, including myself, got on. And uh, that's just kind of where it started. 
And how long were you out on the East Coast for? Uh, a year and a half or so. But you're, you're, you were born and raised in Montana. Yeah. Because I feel like you have a Boston accent. Have people told you that before? No, I, uh, especially only when, when I you get say, angry. Especially when you say Boston. Boston. <laughs> I, no, I, uh, I get a Jersey accent when I get pissed off just because of all my friends being from Jersey just by proxy, but yeah. And then, <laughs> and then uh, so you were out in, in Boston in college and you started doing comedy. Did you do a lot of shows in the area? Did, were you performing in New York and, and all the, e I don't know much about the East Coast. You know. Wow. Yeah. No, it shows. No, I was, uh, <laughs> I didn't ever do any shows in New York, but uh, just in Boston and the surrounding areas. And uh, we ended up opening for Hannibal Burris when he was doing a tour. And, uh, and that was exciting. And I got to talk to him afterwards. And, uh, and he was like, you guys are really funny, man. I was like, thanks, Hannibal Burris. And he was like, Usually comedy, like improv comedy, as cringy as shit, but it was pretty funny. And I was like, thanks. I had no idea who the fuck he was when I met him. Like I oh, that's had crazy. zero idea. And then uh then I like posted a picture of like him and I, and then all my friends are like, the fuck? Uh yeah. So anyway, that's my little side tangent. But uh I started with improv and then when I came back from Boston to Montana, uh mid-college, I uh, started doing stand-up because that was just more available. Which do you prefer? Because if you talk to a lot of people, you know, stand-up and improv are, are two different sides of the brain. A mm. I feel like a lot of improv comedians can do stand-up if they've started with improv, but I feel like a lot of stand-up comics have trouble with improv. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Which, is there one you prefer more? I, I would love to do improv. I suck at it, but I... I this is this is gonna come back to bite me in the butt. A lot of the improv that I've seen, even outside of Boise, in in places that I've lived, even in Seattle, I I, I would agree with Hannibal. A lot of it to me is super cringy. It's it's an art form. Like you like especially with comedy, you know, you pay for the attempt. Like I forget what comedian said of uh, it was probably oh it was a uh, Dave Chappelle in one of his specials. He was like, you guys pay for the attempt. Like watching Evil Knievel try to like jump a canyon, like. If he makes it or not, it doesn't matter. You already paid for the ticket. Like, mm -hmm. that's improv, you know, uh, and just comedy in general. But it's just for the attempt. Because when it's magical, it's magical and it's really impressive. But uh, sometimes you have to trudge through and watch a few shitty shows to get there. But, I mean, there's nothing like that feeling of having a good improv show. Uh, I, I guess I haven't been to one yet. Because <laughs> I feel like, I feel like too, when you go to some of these improv shows, everybody just feels like they're the next Ryan Styles or Colin Mockery or, you know, the, the really famous faces of improv. And, yeah. they're, and they're not. Have uh, either of you guys watched Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix? Yes. I thought yeah. that, was, that like gave me a whole new appreciation for improv, like completely. That That's long form and that's really impressive. That's like its own thing. Like whose line is it anyway is... Uh, you know, mostly games and short form, short form mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of variety to it. And it's just a matter of like having a, a good pairing of people, because if you throw together a bunch of strangers and tell them to have a good improv show, especially when there's a lot of egos, you know, being thrown around, like that's just not a recipe for success at all. But uh, I feel like I've seen more successful improv shows with just uh, comedy troops, honestly, people who, 
are just trying to have the team have a good night you know it's it, it's a very like it's an individual thing but it's an extremely like selfless form of art and uh, if that selflessness isn't there it doesn't work but uh to answer your question i think that i prefer stand-up just because i can incorporate crowd work and get that improv you know like tick my cat is staring at me uh that improv like part of me out on stage before i go into like scripted things so it's like a nice mixture and i can rely on myself and how long have you been doing stand-up stand-up um I started in 2016 while I was in college and I started really committing to it in late 2019, early 2020. That's when I was booking a lot more shows. That's when everything was going really well. And then pandemic oh, happens cat. and hey, Javi, um, he's named Javi. Do you know who he's named after? Manny's Baseball dad player. on, on modern family. Oh, no, 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 no. Javi uh, Lopez. Uh, no, yep, I everyone quit. guesses that. Javier Baez, nice try. But okay. Uh, but yeah, I was really committed to it, and the pandemic hit, and had to do a lot of Zoom comedy shows. Oh, and it just, like did oh. not hit. Yeah. Oh, Travis knows my love of Zoom comedy shows. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them so much. What's that to love? Come on, you the just like close your computer at the end, and then you're alone. <laughs> yeah, but I was talking. I was literally talking on Saturday to some of my my uh, comedian friends here in Boise. It's just the 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 timing you have to have for a Zoom comedy shows is so different than a live a live stand up show. And there's been this is also going to come back to bite me in the butt. I should just stop talking. Uh, there's so many comics that have come out of the pandemic that have only done Zoom shows that that feel like they're feature or headline worthy because they're they've done 50 or 60 zoom comedy shows and then they bomb they bomb doing their first stand-up show and, and but think it's the audience's fault but it's it's they, they they don't have the training in front of a live audience to really get that timing down right well with the zoom comedy shows i only did a few before i just tossed the towel in but uh <laughs> It was, it was, but I actually had fun with the couple that I did because I didn't treat it as a stand-up show. Like, I did not like that at all. I didn't think that was going to be successful. It's like the cringiest shit ever. So like, while on the Zoom comedy show, like, you know, I'd like bring in props and I would do a different set. I wouldn't be trying to do my same material because it like... Mm -hmm. It wouldn't that's not how it yeah. works it's a different it's a different form of art all of a sudden like you can't just try to like fit this you know square peg in a round hole so when i was able to like incorporate more props and like interactive things that's when i felt like it was successful and i didn't feel like i was comparing the situation to like having a good set on stage um but i don't think that that was like a really common thing for the zoom comedy shows and i think that uh Everyone was just trying to like get that high mm -hmm. uh, back, and uh, and it wasn't it wasn't good for anyone. No, no. And see, I didn't mind. I I I did one, but it was live streamed from the comedy club, so it was a little bit different. It was a Zoom show. We had a small audience. It was, but it pretty much it was just pretty much like a recorded a recorded comedy show played on Zoom live. Yeah. Yep. So I did one of those and I had the perfect analogy for that because, you know, you, a couple people were laughing. And so the audience can't really hear people mm -hmm. laughing because there's so few because it was only comedians that were in the audience. 
but I went on stage because everyone was fucking bombing, you know, because of course, or like, we don't know if we're doing well right. online. Like, are people like commenting? Like, there's no way for us to know. There's no feedback. And so I went on stage and I was like, this is my worst nightmare. I was like, this is like, this is worse than bombing because it's like you bomb, but then everybody sees it. Mm. I had, uh, I, I did uh, Washington State University's first, first live show. Uh, it was April or May of, of last year. They didn't tell me when, when we came up that the campus was only open to like students that were in housing still. So the, the campus wasn't open to the, the, the people that would, you know, lived off campus. Uh, so we had 26 in the audience and like a hundred watching on zoom. Cause they told me there's going to be like a hundred, 200 people. They forgot Damn. to mention, they forgot to mention the fact that like three quarters of it, were going to be streaming in. So they try to get all 25 or 30 people that were in there in the first couple of rows. But of course they all just sat in the back and were just like, Oh, that's, a- <laughs> that, that's ass. Uh, it was the most awkward 35 minutes of my life. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. That's a long set. Yeah. I cried a little. <laughs> I would too. Uh, it was, it was fun. Um, so you're back in Montana. You're back in, in, in Northwestern Montana, Western Montana. I always forget where yeah. you're. How, yep. Because I lived in Spokane for uh, 12 years, grew up near Seattle. I mean, Montana must be even harder to get some gigs because you don't have too many cities nearby. How has that been? Because I feel like it's a little bit harder because even in Spokane, you know, Spokane's a a city of 200,000 people. But it's hard to kind of gauge how good you are when you're in that same demographic all the time. How Mm -hmm. is that in Montana? Because you're in, you have, you know, three or four smallish, biggish cities in a couple within a couple hours but does it still make it hard to gauge how well you're doing with being just in that area all the time uh i think that it depends on the venue more than anything in montana um different venues just carry different energies and different demographics because i'm in missoula which is like a liberal haven of montana like it's an extremely red state missoula is very blue so when you're going to venues um there's going to be like some that are like more like theater where everyone is just sitting and they're just watching you. And uh, it's really not interactive at all. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing open mics, you're starting to have like what I consider like a proper stand up crowd, you know, where like people are doing their own thing. You have to like capture everybody's attention. So I still have the gauge of what a good set and a bad set feels like. Um, but in Montana, more than anything, it's what I'm learning is, uh, just like crowd interaction and how to like use that to my advantage because, um, it's a, it's a weird crowd to be doing comedy in front of. It's a weird time to be doing comedy and, uh, and ideally, yeah, it would be nice to be back in a city, uh, to do comedy because, you know, I can only do so much here, but. Uh, I am getting like a decent amount of stage time and uh, and getting a chance to try out a bunch of material, which is which I feel pretty fortunate about. Missoula has like a pretty surprisingly good comedy scene. But when you get out of Missoula, that's when it gets a little rough. Yeah, because I don't remember what comedian that I've taught that told me this, but he he told me um, because he noticed the Spokane scene was a lot of the same, like a lot of the same people doing the same stuff. 
And he says something to the effect of bad stage time is just, or yeah, bad stage time is just as bad as no stage time because you can get an over-sensed, over-inflated sense of ego if you're doing bad with the wrong crowd, which I think a lot of people that never left Spokane kind of got, if that makes sense. Um, Cause then they would try the same set in Seattle or they would, you know, do the, the comedian thing and go down to LA or New York and just bomb completely bomb. Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the thing that got me traveling more is I wanted to make sure my stuff is relevant because being from a more liberal city in Seattle growing up, moving to a more red city in Spokane through college and then coming to Boise, which is like a, a mix of both. You know, it, it was tough because in Seattle I could do, I could do all these, these liberal jokes for years that would kill every single time, do the same set in Spokane and, and get booed off the stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think that. So what I do in Missoula is I end up doing pretty much new material. Most of the time I'm always trying out new material, um, which is like a good thing and also a detriment to myself, you know, cause I'm not like honing in specifically on jokes, but I record a lot of my sets and I like notice the tweaks, mm-hmm. but when it's the same crowd, uh, and you're doing the same jokes over and over. It's like people have heard it before, you know. Um, and the feedback I've gotten from audience members is like, I've seen you a few times and you're always doing new jokes and that's fun for us, you know. And, and so that's kind of what I've been taking from Montana is like, there isn't like, you can't go out every night, but you can like once a week, maybe twice a week. And it's just an opportunity to, again, work on crowd interaction um, more than anything, because you can work on that anywhere. And Missoula is a really good place to do it. And then, you know, throw out some new material because the stakes aren't, the stakes aren't high. Right. You know? For sure. Um, there's no segues in this show at all. I'm horrible. at. Segues. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Who'd you hear that from? Yourself in different episodes. Oh, you, you did your homework. <laughs> you did your homework in the last 24 hours. Uh, That's right. Let's move on to talking about, uh, we'll, we'll talk, uh, which one should we start with? Because- because mm, it ties into comedy, I think. So you're you're a huge fan of baseball. Yeah, you yes, are a huge fan of the 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 red the Cubs and the Red Sox. I almost combined yep. like four different teams there, and <laughs> I almost said the Reds, the and the White Sox, and I was like, nope, that's not right. Mm-mm. Get in there. Yep. Oh, I love your cat. Yeah, he's a cute boy. Um, being being a female comic and being a female fan of baseball, do you still see a lot of 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 sexism in both um, avenues, even in 2021-2022? That is such a good question. Oh my God, I appreciate you. Yes, those things go so hands in hand. I was raised by men mostly. like I was always like with the guys growing up. I was always in the shop with my dad and uh and you grow up around listening to a bunch of sexist stuff growing up and hearing you know grown men bitch about their wives and and all of this uh it's it's the exact same thing with sports um and that mentality helps me a lot on stage and it also messes me up because Mm -hmm. i forget the um that people don't like women who are assertive and when it comes to sports i'm gonna be assertive because if you tell me it's gonna be the orioles year this year i'm gonna throw a fucking fit you know what i mean like i'm like there's no way i'm gonna listen to that 
uh, that mentality of like dealing with uh, an extremely masculine energy, at least, you know, like with comedy, it's just e extremely like dominated by men. Um, it's, it's a different type of thick skin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when someone's like, fuck you and your comedy, that's like, you know, that's as personal as someone being like, hey, fuck the Cubs, they're trash, where you're just like, it's a rebuilding year, what are you going to do? You know, like, it's just shrug like shrugging it off. But um, yeah, to get to the essence of the question, it's it's exactly the same mentality. And working for baseball stadiums, like I was working with a minor league team for a little bit. And it was incredibly fun because I got to watch baseball all the time. It was also one of the worst jobs in the world because I had to deal with men touching me a lot. I had to deal with a lot of old men like trying to grab my ass, you know, and it's just been like uh, the same situations in mm -hmm. in comedy and being in a in a crowd, um, having people just make me extremely uncomfortable and unfortunately uh, just being a, a big sports fan and being in with like all of the guys has just like prepared me a lot for that. Um, but yeah, no, that's exactly it. It definitely, and people feel like, I feel like when female comedians do sports uh, material, like men feel like it's their obligation to chime in. Like that's when I get a lot of heckling, like a lot of participation that isn't necessary. Um, and then that's just a sport in itself to me. I love that shit. I love shutting people down. Like it's a great skill. I love how you call uh, participation, really not wind. heckling. <laughs> <laughs> well you know like either way it's unwanted um <laughs> but uh but yeah the skills are absolutely the same and i'm really grateful uh for the unfortunate training i've had to go through with that but so that's, that's saved me a lot uh in the long run do you feel like because you love sports so much and obviously you are a, a very talented comedian and writer, which we'll get into in a bit, do you feel like you could take place now that, that like a Katie Nolan or somebody in, in sports that does kind of the, the humor commentary? I don't think that I would. <laughs> There's a big, um, big sigh. Well, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it because I like, my favorite thing to do is like having, I can only deal with, uh, sports interaction with um aggressive people for so long and on stage you do the bit you get your comedy out and then it's done um and then i feel like then i get to enjoy sports on my own in my own time and that like i'm not constantly like i'm only participating with sports as much as i want to mm -hmm. so i feel like pushing it uh any more than that would uh make me pretty miserable but uh yeah the women that do that are absolutely amazing though so kind of a follow-up parallel perpendicular question to that. How do you feel about the female comedians that kind of take, because, you know, there's a lot of female comedians that people think are funny just because of their sex appeal. What do you see about the, the comedians that, that lean into that, that pretty much just use their quote-unquote sex appeal to push themselves farther? I've asked this to a few of my other female comedian friends and have had a lot of different varying answers on it. Yeah, because that's a rough question. Who mm -hmm. are you thinking of? I don't know if I want to give answers. Well. <laughs> I can't spill the tea. <clears throat> I, well, like. I, I feel like, and I feel like she's, she's, she's hilarious, but I feel like Nikki Glasser kind of leans into 
knowing that that people look at her because of her sex appeal, and I think she her comedy sometimes leans into that a little heavy. Well, listen, beautiful women are going to have to deal with a lot of shit no matter what. Um, so when people use it to their advantage, uh, like I don't think that they should be punished at all. Like this is something that they're they're forced to deal with, mm-hmm. and so now when they like you know use it for themselves, it makes sense but also it's rough because uh people are just trying to do Uh stand-up and then all of a sudden people are like you're pretty and like now you have to deal with all that like that's a lot to deal with and i don't hear that like question about like men where it's just like hey you know like you're a beautiful man totally chiseled how do you deal with that (laughs) on stage you know like it's a it's it's like a female thing so in whatever way that women deal with it is fine to me because that's like a specific issue that women have to deal with. So just mad respect to any of the, well, like all women have to deal with that right. on stage. And, and especially like the, you know, the beautiful women, quote unquote, you know, like how does someone determine that? Right. You know, and, and then how are you supposed to, because then if you assume like I'm a beautiful woman and I'm going to talk about it, then people are like, oh, this bitch, her ego is way too big, you know? But then it's like, if you don't address it, then people are like, well, clearly she knows. Because I've, I've talked to a few comics and they're like, it, it, it seems like it takes a step back for women in comedy because they want to be judged just on their humor and not, you know, just like everything else in the world by their looks. Because um, there was a club, and it's going to be hard because I've only lived in three places. The main comedy club in one city booked a really famous comedian who's been in, in dozens of movies and his requirement to book the host from that city was he asked for 14 headshots of the female comics and picked the most attractive one of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And that comic leaned into it like nobody's business. And I get it. Like you said, it's, I mean, what it, it helped her career out, but that's where I'm kind of confused on, you know, does that hurt, you know, women's in, in comedy overall or, or is it kind of whatever it takes to get, get you farther in your career i'm making some notes here listen women don't can't win women can't win in male dominated spaces especially like in artistic Mm -hmm. spaces um this is a burden entirely that women have to carry so how they handle it i don't really give a shit because (laughs) Because that's that's a lot to mm-hmm. put on not only a woman to be like, hey, now deal with all of this like objectification and how you're gonna dress it on stage. But now if you do it wrong, you're setting women back and you're fucking everyone up. Like I think that like the the power there's too much power given to that situation. Like right. you either like people's jokes or you don't. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that it's like anything bigger than that. Cause we're gonna talk a little bit because I told you, I, I warned you about this, and Travis knows how much I love Twitter. Um, it's it's my thing, which I'm glad you have one. Because uh, the last few episodes, we've I've talked to some amazing women anchors and reporters in, in the news. And um, I think it was the episode that I had either Amanda or Claire on, Travis, maybe you can remember, where we were talking about how now all these reporters are calling people out on Twitter. And it's getting so much traction, which I think is amazing. Because it's pretty much saying, hey, we're not going to take this bull crap from, from you anymore. It's disrespectful and needs to, needs to stop. And I think if more people did that, you know, I think it would slowly but surely 
course correct, and hopefully it's in sports as well. One of my friends, Ashley, who on Twitter, every time she put something about the Mariners, people replied, why are you so mad? Go knit or, you know, stuff like that when she's legitimately one of the smartest baseball fans I know out there. Totally. So Twitter, use it to your advantage. Travis, how many times do we talk about Twitter? Uh, I'd say it gets dropped at least <laughs> at least five to six times an episode, probably. <laughs> it's it's my favorite thing. I'm with it, though. I got a tweet right now. It's doing numbers. Burt Kreischer retweeted it yesterday. Oh, snap. Yeah. I will say the only reason I got Bob Saget on our show is because of Twitter. So that's, I mean, it's <laughs> that right there hey. proves. It's honestly the original platform for, like, organic growth. Like, everyone says that's what TikTok's all about right now and stuff. But I was like, yeah, Twitter's like that, but you don't need to do any of the stupid videos. You can just do it with your words and still have, like, organic growth like that. And Abby and I were talking mm. about the other day. I'm too old for TikTok. I mean, I, I, I get it. We were talking. We had uh, Freddie G from from New York uh, on our show last spring, or was it last winter? Spring. spring. It was in May. It was May. Wow. Time. April. Time. Okay. I believe you. And he, you know, he was one of the first. He how many how many views on TikTok did he say he got roughly on some of his comedy videos? He had a couple that were getting like hundreds of thousands of views and stuff like that. He said he was doing better than like his regular on stage stand up, like his TikTok was. Do you use? Are you big on TikTok? Is that kind of your? Uh, yeah, that's that's my platform for sure. How many followers do you have on TikTok? A uh, thousand, I think. I have I have two, and I've never posted. <laughs> it's uh, uh two private accounts that you made so you can call yourself. <laughs> exactly i don't have the i don't have the face for instagram or tiktok which is why i, I really just promote twitter i <laughs> i have the face oh for God. twitter i have the face for podcasting is, is what say. <laughs> the um, face for newspapers exactly exactly it's why it's why travis will never let me do video po- uh, video shows anymore i, I broke his camera travis. It, i know <laughs> it's fine um we're going to move on to, like I said, no segues, your your third love, your third love, which is uh, you, you love screenwriting. Yeah. Now, do you love just television or do you love movies as well? Or is it is it is it primarily TV? It's both. It's okay. definitely both. Um, yeah, that was a thing that I had to teach myself. And so uh, you can find me writing every day on, you know, shows that I'm making or I'm working on a feature feature length project right now. And, uh, and that's been my focus. I have a director to send it to, uh, uh, no, him and I had a falling out. It's really awkward between Martin and I, that's why you had it. That's why you had to leave the East coast. You and Martin had to leave the East coast. He like controls the whole thing. Um, but yeah, that's been my biggest focus is a feature length film. Can you, can you tell us what, what it's about or is it under, under, uh, lock and key marvel lock and key um i don't have a great log line for it yet but it's like i started writing it as a thriller uh or just like more of a dramatic film and i was like this is gonna be a total like different like like way of approaching it i always do comedy stuff and so i start writing it and i get like around 70 pages in and i reread through it for the first time and i'm like fuck it's totally a comedy like (laughs) it's absolutely a comedy so it's like a drama comedy-esque kind of situation set in the 1950s following uh, a housewife and her just trying to like navigate this kind of like supernatural neighborhood that's like against her in a lot of ways and like dealing with a lot of the commercialism uh, that was happening in that era that sounds fun yeah it's 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 if i can get the quality to like 
as good as the idea is, then <laughs> that's I'm always the be in business. That's always the tough part. There's there's been some. I like to read scripts because I'm a nerd. There's so many scripts I that I've too. read that are so good on paper, but then you watch them on on film that just they somewhere between here and there they just don't execute it. And I don't know. You can't always blame the director. Sometimes you you know the cinematographer can make or break a film as well. Sometimes the casting choices. I mean, I did enjoy Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher, but I know the books. Jack Reacher is supposed to be six foot one, and a lot of people hated that. And now Amazon Prime's doing the version with Alan Richman, something or other, who's like six six and beefy, mm. and people are excited for that. <laughs> I I just there's no there's no pleasing everybody. I wrote there's no segues. A short film when I was in Spokane, had a director, had a cast could not get uh, any place to film. It was about a serial, a clown who was put on trial for uh, being a serial killer. And the whole short film, the clown's doing things like, you know, squirting people with his, his flower, doing balloon animals. So stuff like, <laughs> stuff like a clown would do. So like the judge yeah, was just- can you, can you tell the audience the gesture that you just made me watch <laughs> while you're explaining it's a, squeezing the flower? It's Cause yeah, it's right by here. I'm pinching, mm -hmm. I'm pinching. Yeah, it's what they do. Sure, yeah. This is why, yeah. this is why I'm no longer on video. Um, <laughs> but the whole time the, the judge is just allowing him to do whatever he wants because you know, he's a clown. And uh, by the end of the short film, the prosecutor gets thrown in jail for contempt because he's just interrupting. And the, the film ends with the prosecutor laying on the, the bed in the jail cell and wakes up when the clowns over him and says, court's adjourned and stabs him. So he's actually like a killer. Whoa. Yeah, the whole short film, you believe the clown's innocent and just a goofy clown. And then the end turns into a. Because I hate I hate clowns. I try to make it funny, funny, funny. Oh, you're the guy that hates clowns. Oh, I hate them. So much. I hate them so much. Because in Spokane, and I think it was other places. They're so loved. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, all those places where clowns were just showing up on on. Oh. Yeah, I saw three of them. I, I remember. I saw three of them. <laughs> and and I know out of the two of us, I would still die mm. first in a horror movie. It's always the brown friend before the girl. It goes brown friend, girl, and then everybody else. So that I is would, true. I would die first. So I don't do horror movies. Yeah, you're toast. Yeah. Okay. I don't mm -hmm. do horror movies at all. <laughs> I won't even watch them. That's I don't I don't like uh I don't like horror films. I thrillers I don't mind, but uh I I'm too like visual of a of a learner and so images stick with me a lot longer. What's your favorite thriller of all time? Or if that's too hard of the last like couple years? That's hard because because I feel like my answer is going to be so cliche, but it's Silence of the Lambs. Like, it's so good. That's my answer. <laughs> Just that because it's so good? It's so, well, the character development is extremely good and the way they handle the antagonist and just the way, the different ways that the plot is being pushed through act two is really impressive how it can be engaging the whole time when they're just finding dead ends. Did you, know, you fact, oh, go ahead. No, go for it. Did you enjoy Hannibal, the TV series then? I didn't watch that. This is awkward. <laughs> that was fun. I didn't watch it. I, I like uh, thriller films. I like when it gets done in 90 minutes. I mean, the shows are 44 minutes each. So you just like, you watch two of them back to back and you got your 90 minutes. 
Uh, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. Is it good? Should I watch it? It was one of the most like loved shows that got can like said canceled too soon. It was on for three years. Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy. For somebody that watches a lot of TV, I've I've for people that don't know, I usually try to do a little bit of research before. I've I've mentioned like eight shows and you've not seen one of them that that we've talked about. For somebody that watches for someone that watches a lot of TV, I think I'm calling your bluff. I'm calling your bluff. Oh my god! Like, did you try watching? I feel like in a, did you try watching imposter. Clarice? Clarice last year that they did on CBS. No. Yep. Okay. <laughs> oh for nine. You haven't, seen, you haven't seen Seinfeld, and so you're a comedian. Let's see. Have you seen? Let me try to think of some of the best. Shows. A lot of gatekeeping happening right now. Did you ever watch? I feel so uh, do you watch Home Improvement with Tim Allen? Uh yeah. I was forced to watch that as a child. Oh, because of your dad in a shop? Yep. <laughs> Did you like Home Improvement? No. <laughs> okay. What about, uh, I'm trying to think of other comedian shows. Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. No. Isn't that like the same vein of Seinfeld? Like, I feel like no, people totally have different. seen one, they've seen the other. No, Everybody Loves Raymond was a, is a family show. He, him raising his kids, living across the street from his mom and dad. Seinfeld was about four groups of friends. If anything, Seinfeld and Friends were more similar. <laughs> Seinfeld and Friends, because they're about a group of friends. Raymond, this is Travis. I think I just broke your host. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> it's really not. But the fact so so uh, part of the reason I have Abby on the show is uh, next month, uh, February nineteenth, sixteenth, nineteenth. One of those two days. Next February, or in February, next month, um, Abby and I will be doing a show together in Mile City, Montana. Mile City. Um, but now I'm starting to regret everything. <laughs> okay, be easy now, okay? It's the Red Sox thing. It's, it is it is the Red Sox thing. And now the TV thing. So, like, did you watch Fever Pitch? Did you see Fever Pitch? Yeah, I actually liked that movie. Of course you did, because it has the Red Sox <laughs> in it. Did, yeah! Did you watch the TV show Pitch? No. Listen, you're setting me up to fail so hard right now. Can we, can we setting, change this How subject? am I setting you up to fail? It <laughs> was one of the best TV shows about baseball, and it was actually oh licensed gosh. by Major League Baseball. It had listen. It had Mark Paul Gossler for Pete's sake. It had Zach from Say by the Bell. I feel like I'm being lectured. <laughs> have you seen, have, have, this is just going to go on a tangent now because we're talking about TV. Oh my god! Have you seen Big Sky that takes place in Montana? No. Keep going. This Let's was, just do rapid fire. Was, just ask the this, shows I've seen. We're going to end this 15 minutes early. This was hey, <laughs> hey, what's up? No. <laughs> Thanks for joining. We're going to just play the rest of Bob Saget's episode for the next. Okay, easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're 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 a little bit younger than me, so I'll give you a pass if you haven't seen this one. Did you ever see um oh my god, now I'm drawing oh Clubhouse with Dean Kane, Jeremy Sumter? No. no. It was a baseball it had Christopher Lloyd. It, you can't find it. it's on YouTube. It's it's that old. It was two thousand and four or two thousand five starring Dean Kane, yes, Superman himself. Um hmm. it was about uh, this bat boy it was it's based on a true story about a bat boy that was with the the Yankees so that's probably why you never watched it that's yeah who, who the fuck wants to do that in their spare time watch the Yankees uh did you watch Friday Night Lights the TV show yeah that didn't seem that's like, a lie no <laughs> oh man this is 
wait for the pop quiz in about five minutes because this is oh fuck this is uh, this is this is fun Travis we're gonna skip to Travis's uh, we always have um, my producer Travis who you met um, before we started this venture about a year ago Travis hadn't done too much uh, with the talkie talkie side of podcasts he does a lot of the behind the scenes every mm-hmm. episode I give him uh, two to three questions to ask the guest so this is how many do you want today Travis. It's always two. It's always going to be two. Okay, it's two questions. <laughs> it's two questions with Travis. He tries mm. to throw in like three or four, and I'm like, I barely have two prepped. I think I did uh, ten once on him, and he only did like four. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my first question is, who are uh, who are some of your favorite like big name comedians right now and stuff? Like people you'd want to open for or just meet in person or anything like that, or that you've already met, I guess. Um, my. So, so there's, so comedians are split. I feel like the stand-up comedians I've talked to have been pretty split on. There's some that watch a lot of specials and there's some that really avoid them. Um, I, I go back to the same specials. Like it's like a comfort for me. And one of those is uh, Tom Segura's Disgraceful is one of my favorites. Uh, I think that his, his humor is just like his presence like gives me like informs me a lot of how you can go on stage and you can like still have stories it's like storytelling you know um and be able to like captivate an audience when you're not necessarily like doing a lot of physical things uh tom sewer is definitely um when i look up to of course bill burr um just like the sports thing i love that guy never heard of him uh <laughs> never heard of him yeah wow um but yeah the those two especially and you know it's like a give or take thing you know because each comedian especially the ones that have been established you know have had like interesting conversations brought up about them and their material and there's definitely conversations about both of them and Dave Chappelle's another one too but uh those three I I've learned a lot about because I, I was a STEM kid my whole life. Like I was just, mm. I was just doing physics all the time. So it like everything like with TV and film and stand up, like it's all been just me absorbing things. And so that's been, it's been really good. Before Travis goes to question two, I'm going to piggyback what, since you mentioned him, uh, what did you think of Chappelle's, I've asked every comedian since then, what have you thought about Chappelle's latest special? And do you think all the controversy surrounding it is, is warranted? You can cut out this dead air. Let me think about this. <laughs> she might have broke the host, but I think you just broke your guest. I know. You know, see, this That's... is what I do. I come I come back with the... T- I've seen my law and orders. I come back with the tough one. It's... Comedy is really good for conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I like about it. Um, and... And I think that there's a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to cancel culture uh specifically when you know comics go on stage like even if they're doing arena tours or they're just like and nobody doing an open mic uh people who go on stage you know specifically men who go on and bitch about cancel culture and talking about how sensitive everyone is are some of the most sensitive people i can think of like they're extremely hyper reactive uh there's a lot of hypocrisy on that side of just like who's overreacting there's a lot of overreaction and sometimes I think that 
established comedians take it upon themselves as their responsibility to tackle taboo subjects. And that comes with consequences, like whether or not it lands, uh, that was a decision that he made and uh, stand up like the art is determined, you know, by some of the stand up determine their worth, but also, you know, the, the audience determining it. So I don't think that there's a right answer to that. I just think that there was a conversation that wasn't, uh, that wasn't taken advantage of, which was uh, frustrating. Such a diplomatic answer. answer. Such a diplomatic answer. Back to Travis for question (laughs) number two. Uh, And then I guess my next question is, uh, do you plan on sticking around in Montana or um, if you kind of wanted to like, Hell no. I, yeah, I guess. Okay. So then, uh, do you like, where would you, uh, where would you want to move to? Would you want to go to like the traditional, like LA, New York, or do you kind of have some other uh, places in mind where you'd want to like do comedy? And then I guess kind of a tag along was, do you prefer doing stand up, or would you rather kind of, um, if you move to a place that kind of had a better community for it, would you prefer to do more improv stuff? Um, yeah, let me, Okay, so I don't, I need to get the fuck out of Montana. I don't like it here. I don't want to be here. I had to flee from my life from Washington, D.C., and uh, my entire family's in Montana. This is where I had to come. I had to escape a homicidal roommate, and I had to just, like, take my cat and, like, get the fuck out. So I'm not here by a lot of choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So I'm just trying to get my bearings straight and get out of here as soon as possible. Few things, like a few places I'm looking at is uh, going back to DC. I really like it there, but I really at some point want to live in Boston and uh, I don't need that sass, okay? Jared, chill. (laughs) But it is, listen, I'm gonna get on my fucking pedestal. I don't give a shit. Boston is one of my favorite places in the world. Their sports culture is amazing. Um, and uh, I really want to be like around the, the, the sports people because people aren't divided. It's not like New York where people, you know, have like Jets and Giants and Yankees and Mets and everyone's like split and yelling at each other. Like Boston is like the unity thing, right? Boston. And uh, Boston. Um, Boston though has but, some of the rudest sports fans. I mean, you can you, they have some of the best sports teams, but they're fans. It has some of the rudest people. Like I don't <laughs> think that's don't blame that on the fans. So Boston has some of the rudest people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you want to live. It's and not you, and you want to live. It's there. not known for like <laughs> non-racists. Like like <laughs> it's not a very like super progressive city. Um, but you call it home, Boston. We're not not racist. Well, well, yeah. Uh, Bruins, Pats, Sox, like, come on. Um, But I want to live in Boston. I feel like now is the time to do that. Like, I'm 24, and I feel like the more I want to pursue TV and film, I'm going to have to end up in New York or L.A. And so I feel like if I don't go to Boston now, I might not have a chance to live there for a few years. But uh, Chicago would be cool. I feel like I'm just going to end up in LA or New York. So at this point in Montana, I'm just trying to find like a, a solid remote job that would allow me to like move around and tour a little bit and then maybe land somewhere else. And then the second part of your question is, um, <laughs> I <hobby>. <laughs> <laughs> not Boston. Shut up. Uh, I, 
would want to go I, I just want to commit to stand-up comedy and I would be open to doing some sketch comedy I have a lot of sketch uh I've only done one sketch show before and it was it was cool um and I have a lot of sketches written out and a lot of ideas for that uh there's not really a community for that but I don't know how much I would want to go back into improv like seriously I think it would be a fun thing to do on the side but I don't think I'd be able to compete with egos honestly yeah. <laughs> it takes the fun out of it cool i guess i have a third thanks for mini- your two questions oh thank you oh, actually, yeah. I actually had a third little one pop oh. up because i was uh stopping oh, your wow. instagram i uh, i saw that oh, you fuck. follow uh you follow garth brooks um listen <laughs> are you a big so this really depends on how big of a fan you are of uh tom segura in your mom's house but are you aware of the tom segura garth books beef for a, so for the majority of my comedy Instagram, Garth Brooks was the only person I followed. <laughs> like that was a joke in itself. He is fucking crazy. Oh, he so is funny. not a good guy. We need to know where the bodies are, yeah. Garth. Okay. I'm I'm confused. Why is Garth kidnapped my aunt Sue Wu? So on uh, your mom's house, like year, like six years ago or something, like it just started as a bit that Tom Segura and his wife talk about how Garth Brooks is just on his Instagram. He's just crazy. And like he relates to like almost too many people. And uh, he's just kind of a phony a little bit. And so everyone on from uh, the podcast page started going on his Instagram. And you can go to to this day, any single one of his Instagram posts, you'll scroll through the comments and it'll be like, Garth, where are the bodies? Like, Garth, please let, please let the kids out of the cage. Like just like really crazy 95% of the comments are from your mom's house fans and garth finally understood like he finally got a hint like a couple months ago and it's been going on for like a year or so and he just has no idea that this like tom segura's podcast is just all of his fans are just infiltrating his instagram and it's the funniest thing i've ever seen that's hilarious because i love garth brooks (laughs) i listen to country music that's one thing yeah you get me now you're giving me a look you are just yeah you're giving me the look i gave you five minutes ago i love country music. this guy is on par with robert durst okay (laughs) whoa Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Shots fired. I love Garth. Yeah, he's probably I've only seen him once. I've seen I've seen Brad Paisley eight times and Blake Shelton eight times. Uh I have a weird story about Brad Paisley, oh, actually. Please, please tell. I I don't have I don't I'm not a country fan. But you live in Montana. Uh, yep, that's why. Okay. And <laughs> uh I was at a a show with some family friends who own a venue out here. And they were like, hey, we have these like weird pass things. I don't know what it is. You want to check it out? And I was like, sure. And uh, and I ended up being on stage with Brad Paisley like the entire time. Like there was a, a bar, bar on stage where uh, it's just like, like tap. Yeah, like a sidebar on yeah. stage uh, behind the guitar player. And I was up there all night just jamming and texting my friends who paid like $200 to go see that show. And I'm like, guess where I'm at? <laughs> I'm jealous. I, yeah, and, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that beats, and that man. I was in a Brad Paisley music video, but that's still better. That's your your story beats mine. You were in a Brad Paisley music video. Yeah, he filmed um, his online music video for the song "Online." I the, remember that song at the White River Amphitheater in Auburn, Washington, and that's when I got Taylor Swift's autograph. Taylor Swift MySpace me a few months before that. It was when she just broke out. She has not replied to my messages since. Uh, wow. But Jason, Taylor. yeah, Jason Alexander from Seinfeld that you haven't watched uh, was the director. Uh, so that was pretty cool. One of my favorite actors of all time was there. So that was, that was fun. Um, 
going off the last question Travis asked you, have you ever thought of either um, Vancouver or Atlanta? Because both are now huge, huge TV hubs, and actually both have really good comedy scenes. Atlanta's comedy scene is is actually becoming one of the the best in the country, and Vancouver, Canada has comedy festivals. They have huge clubs. I mean, they're getting some of the best names in comedy out there. Uh, good question. Uh, probably not. I think, I don't think I could handle either of those climates. Fair. I, I lived in Ireland for a while and I was like, I can never, ever live in like a Seattle-esque type of uh, rainy location again. And, and I don't, I don't want to live in the South because I feel like I'm just in the North South right now <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to get out. It would be pretty ironic to be like, I escaped Montana. I'm in Georgia now. <laughs> that would be, I mean, that could be your comedy album though. Oh God. That's not the crowd I want. <laughs> they do call uh, Idaho the the South and the North. Yeah. It's not great. And that's a fact. Oh okay? yeah. It's very, I apparent. have a lot of Nazi <laughs> encounters in Idaho. Especially uh, Northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene area uh -huh. gets a little sketchy. I think you would like. I think you'd like Boise though. Boise's pretty fun. Boise has some good comedy too. It's okay. a lot like Missoula. Yeah, bigger similar it's size. A, or I guess it's yeah, it's probably no, bigger. Missoula's only like what 40,000? 40, uh, no, it's around a hundred thousand. Whoa, really? Yeah. Huh. That's new. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are. I'm getting distracted by your cat. I love cats. I'm gonna be the crazy cat lady when I'm older. Um, we're going to move on to the patented patent petting pop quiz. It is mm. five rapid fire questions. So far, technically, so far, technically, everybody's gotten a hundred percent. Augusta last time kind of, uh, almost lost, but she recovered. Um, let me know when you're ready. Cause if, if, if you, uh. if you miss a question, usually it's something like when I, I told, uh, I told Bob Saget if he if he lost, I would become the new host of America's Funniest Home Videos. Um, mm. I told uh, I told Claire Anderson I'd become Cairo Seven's new meteorologist. So basically, if you if you lose, um, I will become uh, the person your homicidal roommate is chasing after. So well, maybe you do want maybe, maybe you I'm do gonna want fail. To That's yeah. great. That's a great deal. <laughs> but I also I also take your cat. So. Okay, it's on. Yep. All right. Question number one, and you can try mm. to be as specific as possible. The first date location that you performed comedy in, whether improv or stand up. Um, it was in 2015. Uh, in Boston. Uh, with an improv show probably october or november and it was in the little theater and it was a sold out show for my first show and we have cool. a team of independent fact independent fact checkers checking to see mm. if that was correct there we go you're one for one my fact checkers mm. were a little delayed on that one question number two <laughs> <laughs> question number independent two contractors yeah Fact checkers, independent fact checkers. Independent hmm. contractors is a whole different thing. Independently contracted fact checkers. There we go. Uh, question number two, what is the best sitcom of all time and why? 
I want it to be out in the open before I answer this question that you have set me up to fail and you cannot get my cat because you are not going to like this answer. <laughs> Can I talk to Travis? I want to talk to Travis. <laughs> I'm less picky on uh, my TV and interests. Um, it's it's Friends. Great show. It's Friends. Great show. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of television uh, is is Friends. Um, that seventy show is also pretty good. I don't know if it's aged gracefully, but the Dine and Dash episode is one of my favorite episodes of television. But my favorite, just from a writing perspective, is uh, the bottle episode they had in Friends in around uh, season two or three when Ross is getting ready for an event. And Hannibal That's, Burris just episode. Hannibal Burris just messaged me and said I retract my statement about you being funny. <laughs> That's a good one. That's really good. <laughs> I've been roasted. Travis, got any questions? <laughs> I, I, I won a roast battle on Saturday. I don't know how. I'm not good at roasting. I retract my roast from Hannibal. Um, Listen, Hannibal and I are tight. Okay, so him and Na I are going to... We're going to have to sit down. Name three movies Hannibal's been in. No. <laughs> That's how, <laughs> that's how tight they are. Like, she doesn't even need to see the movie. She just knows he's good in them. There's a lot of gatekeeping happening here. Oh my god, <laughs> I regret this. No, this is all fun and games. No, I don't. I don't. It's all fun and games. This is fun. We were having fun. <laughs> She's mashing me right now, saying, <laughs> "I hate this. Please don't air this episode." Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm having fun. Question number three, and it's gonna. I have two different yeah. question number threes, just in case. Have you seen the movie Inception? Oh my God. You watch. Whoa. No. What? <laughs> Have you been in a coma for the last 10 years? Because you said you love thrillers, movies. I mean, it's one of Christopher Nolan's greatest films of all time. And you haven't seen Inception. That's... No. Okay. <laughs> I feel switch. really bad about myself. Fuck. <laughs> Listen, no, this is bullshit. I have to have my own back. I haven't seen it. I've heard a lot of reviews about it. It's had a lot of hype. I already know how it ends. I already know the theories behind it. I've already watched a bunch of like uh, interpretations of it. It seems like a great film, and I probably will never watch it. Javi's even watched it. Javi hasn't. He's actually just really great with film. He's a guru, that kid. Fine. Backup question number three. Yes. If you could open for any comedian, living or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, Taylor Tomlinson, probably. Mm, why? I feel like, because I feel like her comedy and mine are just like pretty hands in hand. And uh, I think she'd be a really fun hang. I like in, sometimes I have to like intentionally avoid some of her material because I get the comment like you remind me of Taylor Thompson so much and so sometimes I want to like avoid it a little bit because I'm just like I'm not trying but uh, she seems great that'd be fun. All right, fact checkers are yep. Okay, you are three for three. Mm. Question number four. Okay. Would you prefer if you have the choice performing in front of 
50,000 people like Kevin Hart did at the Philadelphia Eagles Stadium or a more intimate setting like a black box theater and why? Uh, the more people, the better. The more people, the easier it is. I really believe that. Uh, because when, well, it also depends how confident you are in your material. But if you have refined material and you're confident about it, I would much rather prefer to more people than uh, to fewer. I don't, I like uh, crowds that are a little more out of control. I thrive better with that. I feel like I have an uphill battle to do um, or like take on. And uh, just in my experience, like the more people, honestly, the better. I don't have, like, I, I have an easy time speaking in front of crowds. Like, I gave my high school graduation speech, and there were, like, thousands of people there, and that was, like, easy peasy. But then all of a sudden, I have to go meet, like, my friend's parents one-on-one afterwards. Like, that's hell for me. But you graduated high school in Montana, right? Uh-huh. So, like, I mean, speaking complete sentences would be, like, amazing to them, right? Wow, the judgment! <gasps> You are stereotyping my people. Am I That's am, fucked up. Am, am You're I about wrong, to get am I, canceled. Am I wrong though? Yes. <laughs> You're not the one that listen. You're not the one that has to perform in front of these crowds. Yes, I do. There's, in a month, I have to be in Montana next month. It's you should do that great. joke. It's gonna kill. <laughs> they're gonna, <laughs> they're like, gonna kill. They're gonna kill me. Speaking in complete sentences. Isn't that fucking crazy, you guys? Be great. Did she get question four right? Fact checkers. Yep. Okay. She is four for four. I will say my thing, and again, I'm 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 old. I've done comedy too long. I just feel like if I can't connect with everybody in the audience, I, I don't enjoy it as much. So I feel mm-hmm. like fifty thousand to me is just a little little too much. Cause like you go to concerts and stadiums too, and they're always like, I see you up there in the balcony. No, you don't. You don't see you you can't see us that far yeah, away. Yeah, but they love that. They love I know. it. They, they eat it up. I did uh, one of my first shows was at uh, the um, Travis. What's the name of the theater in Spokane? That's not the Fox Theater. The Bing, the Bing Crosby. Theater. Yeah, the Crosby. 1100 people. That was like the perfect size for me because I could see the balcony there. They mm-hmm. weren't too far back and I could connect with everybody. Um, mm-hmm. The first show I did at Wazoo was their bigger auditorium and I couldn't see I couldn't see anything in the top. And I just felt like I was disconnected with them. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't see anything. So not that anybody asked. I, I, I prefer the smaller, the smaller audiences. I don't like too small. Like if it's under hundred people, then I really don't like it. Yeah. But exactly. a couple hundred people is, is good for me. The last question, somehow you're four for four so far. Yay. Even on the backup questions. Even go. on the backup questions. <laughs> I'm going to try to make this a little more broad to help you out. Oh, fuck. If you could have written any television show, like what television show would you have written past or present that you wish you could claim credit for and why? Being like in a writer's room with people? Or just like if you, if you, if you, uh, people always say, oh, I wish I was one that created Gilmore Girls. It was such a huge impact for, for women in television or oh, I wish I created the West Wing. It was huge for the political culture. Or I wish I created ER. It was the biggest medical drama of all time, 118 Emmy nominations. What's mm-hmm. one show that you wish that you would have created and why that, that held a huge impact in the, in the zeitgeist of television? 
Um, I think that it, the first thing that comes to my mind is Fleabag, but um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is such a genius. Like there's no way anybody would have been able to make a show as good as it was besides her. But if I could be in the writing room, I feel like if there were more seasons, you know, and it's, and it's ended permanently, which is uh, sad and a good call, but uh but just like that kind of material that kind of character development that kind of plot line um is really hitting on like the morbid understanding of uh younger generations and it also worked great with streaming services too like it was a lot of the right material for the right people at the right time uh and i respect the hell out of that i think that's one of the best shows uh that have ever been created all right tally in the final all right, you're five for five. You have continued this. Hey, I get to keep my cat and my murderer. <laughs> I think that one there should be a thriller, a comedy thriller. You should write. Keep my cat. No, the homicidal roommate. The, the, the homicidal roommate, or whatever. Yeah. Or yeah. It should be like it's a... it's been done before, and it's been pretty accurate. But <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> so if I if I don't see you on February nineteenth, I I need to call DC Metro Police. Is what you're saying. Yeah, call the police because that worked with me for the first time. <laughs> Fucking police. <laughs> uh, but before before we turn the tables um, mm. and have you ask me a few questions, which is going to be probably some good payback. Um, do you do you prefer like the the Fleabag British style uh, short seasons? You know, most British shows last an average of two to four seasons and yeah. are on average four to six episodes or do you prefer the American format you know where it's I mean even even cables 10 10 to 13 episodes and broadcast is you know 13 to 22 um the shows that you're currently writing or have ideas for what what format do you kind of follow the most definitely British I don't want to have anything that's like I just feel like you're doing I'm really personally as like a writer I'm really defensive over my characters a lot more than like the world building or the world that they're interacting in and I feel like American television is really good for like increasing the world building seeing the like way people interact differently to like situations that have like come to them that they haven't like necessarily antagonized to find uh British comedy is just a lot more character work and I it's a lot more contained and uh i definitely prefer it because of that do you feel like um i always felt like good american television you know they a lot of them say they wrap up nice and easy uh, but i feel like good television you know that you see in reboots of stuff like roseanne with the connors uh you're seeing um will and grace come back do you feel like a good sitcom could come back at any point if it's done correctly yeah, because the audience, if the audience is there, you know, because a lot of it's nostalgia. Do you think, um, the, do you think the same yeah. can be said about a lot of dramas? Sure. Yeah, because, you know, people, people get a lot of, people attached to the characters. And then all of a sudden, like when a show ends, it's like, it's like a breakup for people because now they get, now they never get to interact with these characters or see how these characters interact uh, with world ever again and that's and that's heartbreaking for people so bringing it back like that's definitely like a a crowd-pleasing thing to do I don't know if it's necessarily like what I would agree with but I definitely see how it would be successful and how it would make a lot of people happy 
what is what is uh, same question I asked kind of about like a comedy. Uh, what's a what's a drama you wish you would have created? Is there a drama? Mm. I really like Shonda Rhimes. I, uh, I think that she's just like a really cool person, even though, uh, I think that her and I handle just like the way we approach stories differently, but, uh, Grey's Anatomy is, was like such, was kind of like the first drama that I attached to and that I could like go to school and talk to friends about. Mm -hmm. And when I was watching that, like I would, you know, again, like I was a huge STEM kid. I was constantly doing like, you know, you know, I was a physics kid. I was a math kid. I wanted to be a doctor. And so, you know, to like, that was like another connection to these characters I had. Uh, So, so yeah, that show, that show was big for me. That show was definitely big for me. I had a point I realized that I was being influenced by, films and tv a lot and that's kind of when i figured i wanted to be like a a tv writer a screenwriter because like watching patch adams growing up you know watching Grey's anatomy i was like dude i want to be a doctor i want to help people i want to make people happy and healthy and uh after a while like i just realized uh, a lot of it is just uh you know how to create a good story perfect and then we are running a little long so let's do this kind of rapid fire i always turn the episode over to the guests uh to ask Mm. me a couple questions so we'll do Two quick questions, rapid fire style. Take it, take it away. Great. Just so the audience knows, I have my own independently contracted fact checkers, so I will be coordinating with them on whether or not these answers are right. And if you lose, I'm the new host. Well, just so our, you know. our lawyers are better than yours, so we'll <laughs> see about that. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Fine. <laughs> uh, where do you find the audacity to be a Mariners fan? Oh, um, you know, we won 116 <laughs> games in 2001, tying with the best record of all time in baseball. Um, we also created players like Ken Griffey Jr. We had Randy Johnson to start. Um, hmm. We gave we gave Texas A-Rod, which was fine. We had Edgar Martinez, who's a Hall of Famer. Dave Niehaus, who's one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. I mean, Jay Buhner was referenced in Seinfeld, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time that you have not watched. I've met him. He's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's how I have the audacity to be a Mariners fan. And how many World Series wins do y'all have? You know, it doesn't matter the amount of titles that you've won. <laughs> it matters zero. the heart of the players on the Audience field. at zero. If you're not a baseball fan <laughs> at zero, they've never won. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, quick questions. Uh, are you superstitious? No, I'm and a little... And do you have, like... I'm a little stitious. Uh, no, yeah, okay. Do, okay. Uh, do you have like a lucky piece of clothing or a pre-show ritual? Um, yeah. So I used to always throw up before I go on stage and it was like a pre-show ritual for about four years. And now hmm. I decided how I don't eat about an hour before a show. That's my pre-show ritual. I'm kind of a foodie. Uh, I eat a lot, but now I will not eat an hour before a show. Good to know. Uh, and this is for you and for Travis. What were your guys's like childhood cartoon crushes oh uh cartoon crushes uh probably Dee Dee from dexter's laboratory i know that's weird i was like eight when that show came out but mm. i don't know she's kind of quirky cute or lola bunny probably uh yeah, classic kim possible was oh a good one. Ooh. that was a little uh, after i was uh, after i grew up probably some other ones i can't really think of them kim the Possible's villain in the kim one. possible the villain oh yeah 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 
Yeah. I'll um, do you want another one? Let's do like let's do like one more, and then we'll we'll. Uh, what is one. the, what is and there's different ways to phrase this. So, first way to phrase it, what's your favorite or biggest flop on stage, or if you want to consider it, what's your favorite bit that never landed? Ah, uh, bit that never landed. Um. Well, I was doing really good on rapid fire. Now I feel like you guys during the pop quiz. Um, I had a joke about uh, having to start doing uh, Lyft or Uber during the pandemic and how customers got mad because they found the pill bottles and the tag was, at least they never found the bodies. Um, mm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had another friend help me with that. And I thought it worked. It worked. It killed once at an open mic. I tried it at a paid show and it just bombed. And so I, I've yeah. never... I never tried it's it. It's a again. good time to make jokes about bodies is a pandemic. I'm sure the, <laughs> the audience will love that. You know, it, but it's in the trunk. They're not going to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. They only hear it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Abby, yeah. thank you for coming on. Let people know where they can find you on the social medias. Yes, on TikTok. Follow me on TikTok, uh, Gillespie Comedy. And same handle for... Uh, Instagram as well and on Twitter I'm just starting to get back into Twitter because I feel like as a professional I have to and my handle is that's Abby which is a perfect it's like she got in lucky with that handle um, you can actually hopefully see both uh, if you're listening in Montana you can see Abby uh, Jackie Spatty and myself at uh, in Mile City Montana Saturday huh. February let me get the right date because I'm horrible at dates February 19th Saturday, February 19th in Mile City, Montana. Um, This has been the first episode of 2022. Abby, thank you so much for coming on. We could talk for hours. We'll need to do this again after you watch some more television. Uh, Uh, Well, we'll... we can talk more when you get a better team, and it's going to be fun. We'll have a good discussion. (laughs) All right. We will see you next time on uh, Hey, What's Up? the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Hey, What's Up? podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Give a five-star review. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jared Munson. Also, don't forget to follow Speak Boise as well. Thanks, you guys. We will see you again next week.